Glory to God. Hallelujah. 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 He's a good God we serve, isn't he? Thank you, Father. Hallelujah. Well, we're going to talk today about no more limits. And I think oftentimes, even unknowingly, we put, we put limits on God. I think oftentimes it can be the influence from our past experience, whether it be in church or otherwise, you know, because I think a lot of times um, our religious upbringing, I use, I use that word intentionally, <clears throat> you know, because uh, true Christian upbringing isn't going to do that, but oftentimes we get religion. And uh, because of that religious upbringing, it uh, puts limits on God because it gives us a false understanding of what Jesus has truly done for us. And, and I think also even in, in society that we're in, it, it begins to put limitations on God, limits him. And, 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 and what limits do, it keeps us from achieving everything that God's called us to do. You know, uh, if uh, I would have gone with the limitations that I had in my life growing up, I wouldn't be standing up here today because I saw myself as ignorant, I saw myself as stupid, I saw myself as, as an unachiever. And, and, and so that's a limit that we put on ourselves. And so we, we limit God and we say, you can go so far, but you can't go any further. And, and so I wanna talk about removing those limits from our lives and really realizing that God truly can do all things through you and I. And the all things that we're talking about is the all things that he's called us to do. And so we need to take the limits off. In Proverbs 23, seven, it says, as a man thinks in his heart, so is he. Why is it so important for us to take the limits off? Because if we don't, we'll continue to see ourselves as we've always seen ourselves. We won't see ourselves being able to go beyond those limitations. We won't be able to see ourselves go beyond what we think we can do. But see, our thinking has to be redone. It needs to be reformed. It needs to be reformed according to the Word of God. Jesus said in John eleven forty, he said, did I not say to you that if you would believe, you would see the glory of God? Now, now I, I know some interpret this that, you know, he's, he's talking there about salvation or eternity that we could see the glory of God. That's, that's not what he's talking about in this portion of scripture. What he's talking about in seeing his glory is seeing the manifestation of his will. 
in our lives. God wants you and I to see with our physical eyes. You know, it's, it's wonderful to see things in the spirit, isn't it? You know, I, you know when, when, when I need healing in my body, it's great to know that by the stripes of Jesus I've been healed. But I don't know about you, I, I like it even better when I see the manifestation of it. You know, and uh, it's great to know that God will supply all my needs according to his riches and glory through Christ Jesus. But you know what? It's also wonderful to see the manifestation of that. What that manifestation is, it's his glory being revealed and, and becoming evident in our lives. Let me read Romans 12 to you. Romans 12 to you. I'm going to read it out of the Amplified. And it says, Do not be conformed to this world, this age, fashioned after and adopted to its external superficial customs. Be transformed by the entire renewal of your mind, by its new ideals and new attitude, so that you may prove for yourself what is the good and acceptable and perfect will of God in his sight for you. You know what that is? That's his glory being manifested in our life. And he says, as we renew our minds entire, in, in the entirety, completely. In other words, we begin to see things differently. We stop seeing the glass half empty. We begin to see the glass half, half full. God wants to change our attitudes about everything and the way that we see things. And when we begin to see it according to God's plan, according to his will, we begin to see victory in our life. We no longer live in and accept defeat. You know, <clears throat> the Bible says concerning Paul that he learned to be content in whatever state he was in. But it does not say that he was satisfied to remain there. You know, I often said, you know, Paul said he learned to be content in whatever state he is in. I'm convinced he is never in the state of Missouri. <laughs> but you know what? We learned to be content there, but we didn't stay there. Amen. Amen. Hallelujah. Ooh, glory to God. When we saw that bumper sticker that said escape to Wisconsin, and we saw that it was a prophetic word for us. Oh, there's nothing like getting a prophetic word from a bumper sticker. <laughs> we escaped to Wisconsin, praise the Lord. And what we didn't realize was Wisconsin was more, well, we won't go there. But see, he wants to change our thinking. And the number one thing that he wants to change your thinking about is you. You know, it talks about Metamor how do you say it? Metamorphosis. Did I get it close? Okay. Just pray and get the interpretation. You know, but that's, that's, that isn't just a one-time experience in our life. That's to be a lifetime where our, where our thinking changes, where we line up 
with what God's plan and what God's purpose is for each of our lives. In Psalms 78, verse 41, it says, yes, again and again, they tempted God, talking of the children of Israel. Yes, again and again, they tempted God and limited the Holy One of Israel. What was the temptation? How did they tempt God? They doubted God. They doubted God. And every time we doubt God, every time we doubt His ability to do what He has promised and said that He would do in our lives, we limit Him. Think about this. We limit God. And whether we audibly say it or not, what we're saying is, God, I will go this far and I won't go any further. No more limits. You know, Smith Wigglesworth always said, the Bible says it, I believe it, that settles it. That's where we need to be concerning the Word of God. If the Bible says it, I choose to believe it. And that settles it in my life. And from that moment on, I've made the determination that I'm going to follow after God. I'm going to believe that He is going to achieve in my life everything that He said He was going to achieve. Because my God is, safe, my God is faithful. Let's turn back to Numbers, the 13th chapter. And we see how the children of Israel were given a command from God to go out, to go in, to spy out the land, to see if it wasn't just as God said it was. Let me tell you something. When you look around you and you see what God has promised in his word, you'll see that he's absolutely accurate every single time. And he was with them. And so, in, in Numbers 13, um, starting in the 31st verse, it says, But the men who had gone up with him said, and so these are the guys that went out to spy out the land. They found out the land was just like God said it was. It was a fruitful land. They brought back the fruit of the land. They saw that it was a, a fertile land. And they, uh, and they came back and they said, we are not able to go up against the people for they are stronger than we. You know what will defeat you every time? When you begin to look at the circumstances around about you. Rather than keeping your eyes upon the promise of God, which was go possess the land, they began to look at the circumstances around them. And they said the people were stronger. Do you know what? the people were stronger. They were, they were giants. Many times in our life we look at the circumstances around us and we say, these circumstances are huge. They're more than I can handle. Amen. It's come to that. You gotta trust God. But see, they were trusting in their own strength, they were trusting in their own ability. And so, 
And they gave the children of Israel a bad report of the land which they had spied out, saying, the land through which we have gone as spies is a land that devours its, its inhabitants. And all the people whom we saw, uh, it are men of great stature. There we saw the giants, the descendants of Alak from uh, Alak came from the giants. And we were grasshoppers in our own sight, and so we were in their sight. Now, two thoughts about this. It began by how they saw themselves. They, they, they saw themselves as grasshoppers, and then it said, and so we were in theirs. There's just one issue about that. They were spies. They went into the land undetected. They weren't seen by the enemy. But in their imagination, they saw themselves. They saw the enemy seeing them as they saw themselves. How do you see yourself? Do you see yourself as a defeated foe? Do you see yourself as one that is overcome? You know, in the devotions yesterday, I shared uh, a story from a book that uh, Paul Cole wrote. Um, title was The Bartender. Anyway, he's talking about Nehemiah and how Nehemiah, who was the cupbearer for the king, um, but we, we didn't go into that so much. But I, I, there, there was one account that I want to make mention of, and it was a, a guy, he, he was a good size, and he wasn't recruited, and, and so he, he wanted to be a walk-on and play for Southern California. Uh, why you'd want to play for Southern California, I have no idea, but, you know, he did. And, uh, and so it must have been the Holy Ghost, because why else? would you want to play for Southern Cal? You know, but anyway, to, make, to, to go on with it. Um, and so he, he wanted to go on his walk-on, and, and, and Southern Cal didn't take walk-ons. They hadn't had a walk-on for 25 years. And, and so he went in and talked to the coach, and so they let him go out in the first practice. He, he busted his nose and some other things, and, and as he's walking off the field, the assistant coach looked at him and had a, you know, thought, that's it for him, and he says, You'll, you'll either have to kill me or you'll have to throw me off the team because I will not quit. Well, to make a long story short, he, uh, you know, the way, he got, the way he got annihilated, the guy he had to come up against eventually played you know, in the pros and made all pro, and the guy he had to tackle was um, Marcus Allen, who you know, was an, all, uh, an all, all pro and so on and so forth. And, you know, but he stuck with it and he eventually became a captain of the team. And when all these other guys went into pro football, he didn't. Uh, he became an evangelist in one thousands and thousands to Jesus. But this was the point. Everybody told him he couldn't do it. His aspiration was not to be a pro football player. 
His aspiration was to play for Southern Cal, but then to carry the message of Jesus from then on, and he fulfilled it. Even though everybody told him he could not, he did. Why? Because he didn't listen to the naysayers. He didn't look at the circumstances. He didn't listen to the um, statistics. He was determined. And I believe that the reason he was so determined was he may not have known what his ultimate end was, but he believed that there was a greater purpose than just football for him to play the game. What's, what's your purpose? Now I think sometimes we don't, we don't know what our purpose is because we haven't taken enough time to sit back and get along with God and, and allow him to speak to us. It's not necessarily being an evangelist. It's be a farmer, it can be a tradesman, it can be whatever. What's God's purpose for you? And within that purpose, no matter if it's a, you know, the secular job or whatever, God has a higher purpose for your purpose. But we look at it and we, 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 we say, well, you know, it, it's just to make money or to, to do this, that, or other. That's part of it. But because we don't get along with God and because we don't hear what, and, and the truth of the matter is, He's probably already spoken to you about it. But because you're you, you know what my biggest hindrance in life is? It's me. Why is my biggest hindrance me? Because I know me. I know my capabilities. I know my abilities. I know my shortcomings. I know me. And that's what limits me, is me. But you know, at a certain point, I have to take my eyes off of me. You have to take your eyes off of you. And you have to say, here I am, Lord. Use me. And then when he begins to speak to you, you have to listen to him and take the limits off. Because even though he speaks to you, you put the limits back on. And you say, it can't happen. It can't happen to me. I came from the wrong side of the tracks. I, you know, if you knew my past, if you knew this, if you knew that, if you knew the other thing. That's why we don't know. Because if we did, we'd probably put limits on you. God's removed the limits so that we can be all that he's called us to be. So let's go over to Numbers 14, verse 1 and 2, and it says, So all the congregation lift up their voices and cried, and the people wept that night. <laughs> and all the children of Israel complained against Moses and Aaron and the whole congregation and said to them, if only we had died in the land of Egypt, if only we had died in the wilderness. You know what? They had a 11-day trip that took them 40 years. Think about that. 
because they looked to themselves and took their eyes off of Jesus, an 11-day trip took them 40 years. How long's our journey been taken to us? Why have we failed to reach the destination that God had for us? Because we took our eyes off of Him and we put limits. And we got our eyes back onto ourselves. Dropping down to the eighth verse. Well, let's back up a little bit because this is talking about Joshua and Caleb. They were two of the spies. But they didn't come back with a negative report. They came back with a, with a positive report. And, and, and they said, you know, they're right. There are giants in the land. But the Lord has said, let us rise up and let us take the land. Let's just read it, sixth verse. But Joshua, the son of Nun, and Caleb, the son of Jehan, who were among those who spied out the land, tore their clothes, and they spoke to all the congregation of the children of Israel, saying, the land we pass through to spy out is an exceedingly good land. If the, the Lord delights in us, then he will bring us into this land and give it to us, a land which flows with milk and honey. Only do not rebel against the Lord, nor fear the people of the land, for they are bred. <clears throat> Their pro uh, protection has departed from them, and the Lord is with us. Do not fear. And the Lord is with us. Do not fear. And the congregation said uh, to stone them. And so they, didn't, they wouldn't hear it. And so you know what the consequences was? 40 years. An 11-day journey took 40 years. And but Joshua and Caleb, every adult died in the wilderness. God has so much for us so much for us but we limit him we need to change our minds and get into the place of agreement with God 3 John 1 2 uh, you're all familiar with this passage but I want to read it out of the Amplified and it says beloved I pray you may prosper in every way and that your body may keep well even as I know your soul keeps well and prospers. Beloved, I pray that you may prosper and that you may keep well. Prosper and be in health in every way even as your soul prospers. But you know, the, the prerequisite to that verse, to see the manifestation of it, is that our soul prospers. What's a prosperous soul? A soul, a mind, 
that is in tune with the will and with the word of God. And so we have to choose. Romans 4.20 says, speaking of Abraham, because remember Abraham was limited. He was limited in the ability to have a descendant because he was old and Sarah, his wife's womb, was dead. They tried to do it in their own strength, their own ability. They, they tried their own method. And every time we try it in our own method, what do we end up with? We end up with an Ishmael. And what does an Ishmael produce in our life? It produces absolutely nothing but problems and difficulty. And not just in our life, but in generations to come. That's what was produced through their own effort apart from the command and the expressed will of God. And so, according to the circumstances, Abraham was in a bad place. There's no way out. He was old. He was 90 years old. Sarah was almost, 100, uh, almost 90 years old. Her, her womb was dead. What were they going to do? But God had given them a promise. Notice what it says in Romans 4.20. It says concerning Abraham, he did not waver in the promise of God through unbelief, but was strengthened in faith, giving glory to God. God is such an optimist. Read Genesis. We know all about Abraham. This probably isn't proper to say in church, but he's a screw up. He messed up big time. Many times he messed up. He did not waver. at the promise of God. You know what that means? God doesn't major on your failings, on your shortcomings, on where you're messed up. What he majors in is that time you're obedient, the time you listen to him, the time you chose. And so, what's one of the limitations? One of our limitations is we continually look at our mess-ups. We continually focus on how far short I've fallen from the glory of God. And what God is saying to you and I, but you've done something right. You've received me as your Lord and Savior. And because you've let, received me as your Lord and Savior, I have the ability to lead you into victory, into every area If your life, if you will choose to look to me rather than look at the circumstances that you encounter every moment 
of every day. Because we all do. You know, old Moses, he did have few limitations. But you know, it's, it's amazing because he put his trust and his confidence in God. You know, basically, Moses pastored a church of one to four million people and survived. So that means he must have put his eyes on God. And with all of his struggles, we all have struggles. And with our struggles, we, we accept the limitations. Rather than rise above the limitations. Do you know, Moses, he didn't get a cross over to the other side. But before he died, God allowed him to climb a mountain and look over and see the other side. Now, we look at that and we think that's not that big of a deal. Well, I'm 68 years old. Just a little over half of what Moses was when he died. Yesterday, we put on siding. And it's, it's great when you can reach so high, but you still have to bend over and pick stuff up. And after you get about this high, you have to climb a ladder. And so you climb up the ladder with the piece, you snap it in place, you nail it, dig down the ladder, move it, climb up, nail it, climb down, go up, nail it, climb down, move the ladder, measure another piece, go cut a piece, climb up the ladder, put it in place, and I say all this to say this. I hurt this morning. <laughs> Moses, at 120 years of age, just to die, had to climb a mountain. That's taken off the limitations. I look at a mountain now and I, oh, we got a picture of mountains. I look at a mountain and I see that mountain and I remember the time in Honduras when Pastor Becky and I climbed that mountain and my thought is I've done that before. Don't intend to do it again. But you know what? If I gotta climb a mountain to get to an orphanage, or if I gotta climb a mountain to get to a school, I'll climb that mountain. I'll remove the limitations. What's the mountain that God's called you to climb? Are you gonna use your age, or are you gonna use your, what you see as limitations, as an excuse? 
for climbing that mountain? Or are you going to say, God, because you said, I'll do it. And I'll do it with joy. And I'll do it with victory. And I really, I really, even though I was aching this morning, didn't suffer that much because I did enjoy working yesterday. So I, I did it with joy. You understand? I did it with joy. The reason it was so joyful was my company that I got to keep yesterday. But uh, God's faithful. Deuteronomy 34, 7, Moses was 120 years old when he died. His eyes were not dim, nor his natural vigor diminished. <laughs> Woo, vigor! But you know what? Some of it's a choice on our part. You know, I, I, I've decided something. I think I'm going to live till I die. Moses lived till he died. I'm going to live till I die. I got thinking about it the other day because Saturday my mom just turned 98 years old. And two years ago, dad died at 92. And I was thinking about it that except for the last two weeks of dad's life, he and mom lived in their own apartment. There was assistants that came in periodically, but they took care of themselves. So at the night, except for two weeks, because they decided they were gonna end the treatment that he was receiving, so he went home. I mean, they had to put him in a, uh, uh, a home because he wasn't able to take care of mom. But you know what? My dad lived Till he died. I'm going to live till I die. I'm going to live differently till I die than my dad did. But I'm going to live till I die. But you know what? That's got to be a decision that we make in our lives. Because I see a lot of people at a very young, what I can say, <laughs> young has a different meaning to me today than it did 40 years ago. <clears throat> but there's a, there's a lot of people that are young that are not living. They've accepted death. They're just simply preparing to die. But you know what? Some of you young folk, you've just simply accepted death in certain areas of your life. Death doesn't simply mean that you end up in a grave someplace. Death means there's an area of your life where you cease to live. Right. Now I want to encourage you this morning. You stop limiting yourself. You stop saying it's too old. When I was 28 or about 26, I said, it's too late for me. I can't go back to school. But the age of 29, I went back to school and got my education. I don't care what your age is. Get the limits off. You're a child of God. He has a purpose for you. And if you don't have a dream, it's because you've allowed it to die. And you need to do as Paul spoke to Timothy. He said, stir up the gift that's within you. Don't allow it to die. 
there's times it may begin to get a little bit foggy. It may begin to get a little bit vague. But you know what? It's time to stir it up. In Joshua, or excuse me, Jeremiah 29, 11, it says, For I know the thoughts that you think towards me, says the Lord. Thoughts of peace and not of evil. To give you an, an, um, an expected end. Let me read that again because I didn't read it properly. For I know the thoughts that I think towards you, says the Lord. This is the Lord speaking. This is the Lord speaking to you. Thoughts of peace and not of evil. To give you an expected end. What's that expected end? An end of victory. You know, you listen to I don't. I don't listen to it. I've learned there's a button or there's a knob on every kind of uh, tool that brings information into your life. I don't listen to negative preachers. I don't need it. I can get all the negativity I want just out of my own head. I don't need somebody to fill my head with negativity. I don't listen to the junk. Because if it's negative, it's not the thoughts of God that he has towards you. His thoughts for you are not defeat. His thoughts for you are not judgment. His thoughts for you are peace. It's a desired end that is victory. And so what are you going to listen to? I'm going to listen to what God has to say about me, not what man has to say to me. I accidentally flipped to the news channel last week for about 30 seconds. I didn't, I didn't watch, the, I, <clears throat> I didn't know that Ragbri had taken place. What a loss in my life. I do know that the Pharaohs this week, because Bill told me, somebody told me, Bill or Steve, somebody told me it was this week. Otherwise, I wouldn't know him. Turned on the news for 30 seconds, and I thought, I heard this two weeks ago. Nothing's changed. The world's still screwed up. Why do I want to listen to that? I don't. Because my God came so I might have victory. His thoughts for me are for peace. All that they can talk about is defeat and hopelessness. My God has come to give me hope. He's come to give me peace. He's come to give me joy. He's come to give me victory. There is a way out of every circumstance, every situation. I'm not saying you're supposed to be ignorant and never pay any attention to the news. Don't misunderstand me. But if that's where you spend your life, why are you surprised when you feel so hopeless. We can control what comes in. When we control what comes in, we begin to have control of what comes out of us. The words we say, the speech that we have, 
is a direct result of what we fed ourselves with. If we want to change what we say, we've got to change what we hear. If we want to change how we think about circumstances and situations in our life, we've got to change what we're listening to. We've got to change what we hear. Well, pastor, I might offend somebody. Well, would you rather offend somebody or be offensive? The choice is ours. Psalms 139, 14. Just calm down, okay. I will praise you, for I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Marvelous are your works, and that my soul, and that my soul knows right well. I wonder if we took a survey. How many Christians could take that passage and say, that belongs to me. That's how I see myself. Most Christians would see themselves totally to the opposite of that. Listen to it again, to it again. I, so this is, this is to be you and me speaking. I will praise you for I, the same one that's praising him, for I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Well, I know, but I got a little bit too much around the gut here. Otherwise, you know, or I got this, that, or, you know. No, you're fearfully and wonderfully made until you begin to see what God has done in your life as being good. You will never see yourself as good. You'll, you'll always view yourself, you'll always see yourself as coming up short. Acts 10, 34, it says, and Peter opened his mouth and said, of a truth, I perceive that God is no respecter of persons. What does that mean? God is fair and equitable with everybody. God is fair. He loves you unconditionally has no thoughts but for good for you and me. That's his desire. And when we begin to accept that, what happens is Scripture has a totally different meaning to us. If you look at yourself through clouded glasses, if you look at yourself in the way that religion oftentimes has portrayed us is miserable, rotten, not able to achieve, constantly failing, constantly falling short. If that's how you see yourself, it will cloud how you see yourself in Christ Jesus. But let me tell you something. When you begin to see yourself as good, when you begin to see yourself standing in the peace that's been made available to you, that God loves you totally unconditionally. All at once, 
Scripture begins to have a different meaning for you. Because otherwise, it's always for somebody else. You can do all things through Christ who strengthens you. I, well, I know they can, but you know, me, I'm, I'm just a mess up. No, you begin to see yourself differently. And when you begin to see yourself differently, you become an achiever. You know, uh, one of the great deceptions of the enemy today, because wrong believing will always limit us. You know, I remember years and years back, I was, I was reading this book of Young Cho. And uh, in his book, he was talking about his, the ministry in his, in his church and, um, and how within his ministry, um, he not only had men that were teaching, but he had women that were teaching. And that may not seem like that big of a deal to you, but you know, back then when I read this book, it was, you know, the, the, the school that I, Bible school that I graduated from, um, one of the classes that we had was uh, preaching and teaching. And uh, the women in the school, school weren't able to take that class uh, because men were able to preach, but women were only able to share. And so there was a limitation there. You know, women were able to teach in Sunday school and, and uh, you know, maybe go on an evangelistic visit and so forth. But to, to teach and to preach, a woman wasn't allowed to do that. That was limited to the men. And what's interesting is going into the prisons, you know, we take men and women into the prisons to minister and to preach and so forth. And we have guys up there that if one of the women show up to preach, they leave the service. Because, you know, women aren't to rule over men. Well, why don't you try rightly dividing the word of truth sometimes and you find out what he's really talking about there. He's not talking about in positions of the church. He's talking about within the structure. And so there was, there, there was, there's this limitation. And so what Cho was saying, because he grew up in an environment that limited women, that they weren't able to do that. And he says, I, I took, he says, we've removed all the limits. Because he says, oftentimes, we have women that are fulfilling roles that a man won't step into. Took off the limits. You know what, I, I found something about Jesus. You know what he's really interested in? He's really interested in people 
coming to know him in a personal, intimate way. And what we do is we begin to put restrictions, we begin to put limitations on that. And oftentimes what's happening is we're operating those limitations that were there under another covenant. We take them and we carry them over into the covenant that we reside in right now. Isn't it interesting that if you study any of the other religions, women are nothing more than an object or a possession. Why? Because that's what their tradition basically tells them. If the woman doesn't measure up, what do they do? They just, they just discard her. And those traditions were, they were true also under elements of the Old Covenant. Isn't it interesting? Under the Old Covenant, the man could divorce the woman for any reason, just the fact that he wasn't satisfied with her. He could just discard her and throw her aside. But you know what, there was an interesting thing that when Jesus came on the scene, all of that happened. Isn't it interesting, until a, a nation, a country, receives Christianity, receives Christ, a woman never receives her proper place which is equal to man. Now all the men are ticked off at me and probably gonna leave the church. But you know what? What happens when we come to that realization? It removes all the limits. Remember when I was first saved? You know, you're the, you're the head of the house. And as the head of the house, you need to be responsible. And in being responsible, you have to take care of the money. You have to be in charge of the money. Well, Pastor Beck, you know, he's taking care of our, our finances. And so, you know, I had to take care of the finances. And I really didn't want to take care of the finances. And so I said, I'm the head of this house. Praise the Lord. I delegate to you <laughs> to take care of the finances. No, 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 what, what, what's the significance? No, no, I, I believe the order of the home. I believe, you know, as Brother Hagen always said, any being with two heads is a, is a freak. And so in the church, that organi organism has one head. That's Jesus Christ. He is the way, the truth, and the life. There's no other way to the Father but through Jesus because he's the head. In the home, there can only be one head. That's the husband. But it's not a dictatorial position. It's a leadership position. Where the problem comes in because, you know, this is what happens with authority when people don't know how to 
use authority, it gets perverted. And so that's why oftentimes in the home we see a perversion of authority where the, the man wants to rule over his wife and over his children rather than to lead them. But see, this is what I want, to, want you to see is when we understand God's plan and purpose, it removes all the limits. It removes all the competition. Pastor Becky and I don't have to be in competition for leadership of our home. Because it belongs to me. No. <laughs> because we're submit one to the other. And so at that point, what happens? Leadership becomes easy. In the church, when we understand authority, leadership becomes easy. When you understand that Jesus is your head. You know, the owner of the home yesterday it was kind of funny, and people always say it to be funny, but I know there's an, always an element of seriousness with it. You know, and so when we went around, we introduced ourselves to the, the owner of the home, and, and uh, you know, I just introduced myself as Dave Schroeder, and then as it went on, uh, Gary says, and, you know, this is our pastor, and he says, which one's the pastor? He said, and he says, um, Pastor Dave, and so I shook his hand again, and he says, well, I just wanted to know, so, you know, I, I wouldn't say anything around him that would be inappropriate. You know, I, I always tell people the same thing. I said, I'm not the one you need to worry about. I'm not the head of the church. I may be the head of this church, but I'm not the head of the church. That's Jesus. And even when I'm not there, he's there. So I'm not the one you gotta worry about. But see, that's, that's our thinking. And like I said, it's, it's kind of humorous, but it's very revealing as well because it limits us. It doesn't allow us to be ourselves. You know, when we, when we break the law, we think that law is limiting us. But really, in the breaking of the law, it limits us because it steals our peace. It, it steals our, our, our confidence. It steals our testimony. It requires us to be something other than what we really are. Well, what are we really? We're, child of, we're children of God. We're sons of God. And so I've got to live a double life. It limits me when I don't recognize what Jesus has truly done for us. You know, under the old covenant, it was sons of God. It wasn't until Jesus, you know, they, they, were, they, they were sons of Abraham. It wasn't until Jesus when he spoke concerning the woman with the issue of blood. And he said, should not this woman, a daughter of Abraham, to my knowledge, that's the first time that that terminology was ever used in scripture and it was used by Jesus. 
And of course, we know that when we look into the epistles and we see where it talks about us as being sons of God, if you go into the Greek and you study the word son there, it's, uh, it has no gender. And so in the New Testament, when it's talking about the sons of God, it's talking about God having male and female sons because there's no gender. And of course, that always causes us to go tilt just a little bit. A female son, well, in the eyes of God, we're one, we're all one. What, what's the point of this? I want you to take off your limitations. I want, you, I want you to take off your limitations from the standpoint of seeing what God wants to do in and through you and removing the limitations that keep you from receiving what somebody may have for you because their gender isn't right. Let's remove the, gen, the, the limitations. But let me tell you something. If we're going to remove the limitations, we've got to be willing to humble ourselves and remove all of them. Because sometimes it's pride. We don't want to. It's a tendency for the males in this room to think, well, I don't, I don't like that. I like the idea that we rule over the women. Repent. <laughs> but you know, then on the other side, for the women to say, well, then I have no excuses. Yes, because you remove the limits. And once we remove the limits, we're able to be everything that God's called us to be. So ought not this woman, being a daughter of Abraham, whom Satan has bound, think of it, for 18 years, be loosed from this bond on the Sabbath. You, as sons and daughters of Abraham, as children of God, Jesus paid the price so that we might be loosed from that bondage, no matter what it may be. If our values and belief system is wrong, we unwittingly or unwillingly resist God. If our belief system is wrong, if our values are wrong, we resist God. And we immediately, we do not allow him to do all that he wants to do in our life. We already read this from Jeremiah. His thoughts towards us is to prosper us and give us a future and a hope. His thoughts towards us are to prosper us, to give us a future 
and a hope. Romans 10.10 from the Amplified says, for with a heart a person believes, adheres to, trusts in, relies on Christ, and so is justified, declared righteous, acceptable to God, and with the mouth he confesses, declares openly, and speaks out freely his faith, and confirms his salvation. Confirms his salvation. What does this mean? We talk about what God's done for us. We talk about what he's accomplished in, a life, in our lives. We talk about what he's made available to us. We read this earlier from Psalms 57. They turned back, speaking of the children of Israel, they turned back and tempted God and limited the Holy One of Israel. They tempted God. How did they tempt God? They tempted God by doubting Him. Well, Pastor, I would never tempt God. When we doubt Him, we resist Him. And He says, they limited the Holy One of Israel. I don't want to limit God. No more limits. I want to remove the limits. Whatever it is he wants to do in our midst, in our lives, in my life, I want to see it. But nobody can remove the limits in my life but me. The enemy may try, but he can't place them on me. I have to allow it. In the same way I allow it, I remove it. By an act of my will, by declaring in the name of Jesus, I am free. I am whole. Remove the limits in Jesus' name. You know, there's basically three covenants. I mean, there, there's more than that. But there's, there's three covenants to mankind. Two of these agreements are invalid. But because we validate them, oftentimes what we do is we begin to, we limit God. The one covenant was the agreement between Adam in the Garden of Eden. And said that if Adam obeyed God and did not eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, God would bless him. That was the first agreement or covenant. The second was with, with Moses, and it resulted in the law. And it said that if the people be good, they'll get good. If they did bad, they'd get bad. I mean, that's putting a whole long teaching in a nutshell. Both of these agreements were performance-oriented. It was based upon my actions. It was based upon what I would do. The third agreement, third covenant, the covenant of grace, which is still valid, does not require self-effort. 
It requires belief. You see, it's an interesting thing about belief. James puts it this way. Faith without works. I like the New American Standard translation better. It says, faith without corresponding action is dead. Faith, belief, will always demand an action. If you believe something, you'll act upon it. If you don't believe it, you won't. Remember when we lived in Truman, Minnesota, still plumbing, this Baptist came to our door. Wanted to witness. Ticked me off. Who does he think I am? You know, I go to church every Sunday. Didn't do me any good. Even prior to that, I remember I was in high school and we went to Worthington. Gary and I talked about it the other day. We were going to go to the movie and um, they had a free movie. That should have been a first clue right there. That's the first time I'd ever heard, I think, of Billy Graham. Went to a Billy Graham movie and, you know, it wasn't that bad, but we went, me and my buddy were sitting there and watched the movie and they had an altar call. And when they had the altar call, I had this thing on the inside of me that wanted to go forward, but I'm sitting next to my running buddy. I'm not gonna embarrass myself and go forward. And so didn't produce anything. So nothing happened. Still living in Truman and was in a construction accident and spent the night in the hospital looking at the drill running back and forth in front of my face and got home from the hospital and pulled out my old Bible that I'd gotten at confirmation and did what you do with any Bible book. Started reading in the front and I think I got all the way to Leviticus once. But every time Becky would come home, I'd, I'd hide it under the couch because, you know, only wimps read their Bible. So obviously it didn't do a whole lot of good. Fast forward a little bit. Moved here to Jefferson, got hooked with some crazy charismatic people. And on Saturday morning, was invited out to Vern Lewis's house south of town. And I thought I was going out there to get the baptism of the Holy Ghost. And we're sitting there in front of the fireplace, myself and Vern and two other guys, and he started sharing the gospel with me and the scriptures, and I realized something. I was lost. I wasn't saved, and, and because I heard the scripture, something started to rise up on the inside of me. You know what it was? It's faith. Faith comes by hearing, and hearing by the word of God, and, and that faith on the inside of me demanded that I do something with it. And I went forward, or didn't go forward, I just, I prayed with him and I received Jesus Christ as my Lord and Savior. And my life has never been the same. What is God showing you? Do you believe it or not? If you believe it, and faith is rising up in your life, 
It demands an action from you. It isn't to earn something. It's your response to what Jesus has already done for you. My life changed as a response to what Jesus had done for me. We try and we try to stop drinking or smoking or cursing or lying or whatever it may be. We try it in our own strength. But if we would go to the Word of God and allow God's Word to rise up within us, there is a force that's so great, much greater than anything that I can accomplish in my own strength and ability. It's known as faith. And that faith, faith will empower the change in your life. You'll act. And it won't just simply be out of your willpower. It'll be out of the ability of the grace of God in operation in your life. But you know what? We choose. Choose. No more limitations. No more I can'ts. No more it's too difficult. No more someday. Today. Today is the day of salvation. Today is the time to choose that my life is never going to be the same from this moment forward because I'm going to remove the limitations. If God says in his word, I am free, I am free indeed. And I'm going to begin to walk in it. Oh, that's a process. I know it is. But at some point, you have to choose. At the same point, we have to say, Jesus, it's you. You're number one. And all the distractions, all the limitations, everything that man has said, everything that I've viewed as being an impossibility because of who I am, my past, whatever it may be, I remove it now. In Jesus' name, and I choose to serve you all the days of my life. And you know what, when we do that, we don't have to dwell there anymore. We don't have to dwell on the limits. We don't have to go with the what ifs any longer. We can move forward. At camp, we were, what was the pastor's name from Cornerstone, the big guy? JP. JP. I was talking with him and Pastor Becky and he had talked and she had shared, you know, about my heart for missions and so forth and he has such a heart for missions and we had, we were talking a little bit and, and, uh, and this is what came out of my mouth. I said, you know, if I was only 40 years younger, I'd be on the mission field. Boom. 
I just thought of something. God, take the limits off. So I guess I'm going next summer, if not before. <laughs> but I said, but I, but I realized something at that point. I was using my past as an excuse that I didn't do such and such, and so there's a limit then. You know what, I'm not gonna put any limits on God. Now I'm not saying I'm going to the mission field. But you know what? As long as I'm sucking air, I'm a vessel that's available for the use of God. The last time I checked, everybody in this room is still sucking air. That cricket's gonna die. <laughs> but everybody else is sucking air. And that means we're available. Amen. We're available. We're available to be used for his purpose so that his glory can be visible and manifest on the earth. So what we're here for. I know that this probably isn't popular because we want to hear how I can be blessed and, and you want to be blessed? Do the will of God. Fulfill his plan, his purpose. I'm having a real struggle right now. Can't find a place to quit. So I'm just going to. Remove the limits. Don't allow anything to hinder you from fulfilling God's plan and purpose in your life. And so because we have no limits, the only limit is what God has not empowered us to do. What he's empowered us to do is to pray for the sick to cast out devils, to do his will and his plan. And so we're gonna close by doing that. And so uh, we're going to pray for a couple of particular situations that I'm aware of. So Zandra, if you'll come up here. She has, a, is it an uncle? My Brother. Was just diagnosed with uh, Colon cancer. cancer. And that's uh, of the devil. Yep. And so healing is of God. And so we've got you up here to stand in his, his place and we're coming into agreement. The, the word declares that where two or three agree is touching anything, it shall be done for them by our Father who is in heaven. Is he saved? And he's a brother, and therefore he's more should like not. A prodigal sons. Well, prodigal sons are saved. just as saved as unprodigal. You know, they saw giants, didn't they? Mm -hmm. When they went in there. But what did God say? 
I said, fear not. And he said, I have, what I have for you is good and not for evil. So is that evil? Yes. That's not what God has for Amen. him. Amen. So let's agree. It's not God's plan for him. Father God, what's his name? Zion and Zebulun. Zion, Zebulun. Mountains. Ah. I can do, do mountains better. <laughs> the mountain, his life, we command it to be moved in Jesus' name. Father, we declare that by the stripes of Jesus, he has been healed. And Father, in your realm, in the spirit realm, there is no distance. And so right now, by an act of our faith, we reach out our hands to touch him. Father, we speak healing and wholeness to his body. I speak to that cancer in the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth. I command you to wither and die. I speak to each of those rebellious cells in Jesus' name, and I command you to fall in line with the will and the purpose of God. We release your healing power in and through his body right now in Jesus' name. In cancer, you're nothing but a name. We command you to bow to the name of Jesus and leave his body. We declare that he is the redeemed of the Lord. He is restored to health. He is restored to relationships. He is restored to wholeness in every area of his life, just as the woman with the issue of blood. Father, you said, woman, be whole of your, uh, of your infirmity that involves every aspect, every area of his life. And so, Father, we thank you that he's healed of this cancer, but every area of his life is being restored and made whole right now in Jesus' name. And Father, we give you the praise and the glory for his healing in Jesus' name. Hallelujah. Father, Father, Father we, take, we take authority over that spirit of death that's been assigned to this family. Mm. This, this uh, identity that's been uh, spoken over them and given to them. We take authority over that spirit of death in Jesus' name. And we just speak the spirit of life. Yes, mm -hmm. Life more abundantly into this family, into this heritage. We thank you that they have new DNA. Yes, they Jesus. are brand new creatures in Christ yes. Jesus. Amen. We say, no, it's forbidden in heaven. We forbid it on earth. And we permit life more abundantly in Jesus' name. Amen. Hallelujah. And Father, we declare that Zandra has favor as she goes through this interview process. We thank you, Father, that she has favor with those in authority. We just ask, Father, that you would minister peace to her through this time and father we just call for your will to be accomplished and lord we'll give you the praise and the glory for it in jesus name amen, amen. hallelujah thank you thank you father thank you lord thank you bless you and then we just take authority over uh, knee issues amen amen so uh, I don't want him to have to walk up here. So a couple of you go lay your hands on Dan. And uh, so Dan woke up with a swollen knee. Um, Cindy's been having trouble with her knee. Joe's been having issues with her knee. 
Janice just had to have both her knees replaced. And so uh, we're, we're, we're tired of hearing about these knees. And so, Father, in the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, we take authority over that spirit in the name of Jesus. We declare that it doesn't matter what these individuals have done, that the world would say that they've, they've damaged their knees in one way or another. We declare that it is bound right now in the name of Jesus. We speak wholeness to these knees in Jesus' name. Janice, though she's had the surgery, we declare that those knees are gonna function as they're supposed to and no more pain and discomfort in Jesus' name. We speak to, to Joe and we speak to Dan and we speak to Cindy and we speak to their knees and we say, knees be whole, no more pain. I take authority over arthritis in the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth and I say there is no place there for arthritis in Jesus' name and release wholeness to flow through every part of their being in Jesus' name, not just the knees, but every other joint in their body. We speak wholeness, we, we rebuke inflammation in Jesus' name and we release the healing power of the Holy Spirit to flow through and through. We give you the glory in Jesus' name. Everybody that agrees with that says amen. amen. And amen and amen. So, hallelujah. Well, God's wonderful, isn't he? Uh, have a blessed afternoon. And uh, go in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit and the magnificent, victorious name of Jesus. Amen. And give somebody a hug and let them know you love them.